Welcome back. This is Sam. This is Kareen, and we are two Octocs. This week's episode, we will be focusing on how we met, the future of this podcast, as well as different career paths in hematology and oncology. This is a very different style of episode and a special one because today is our one-year anniversary of Two Oct Docs. We'll be back to our regular programming next week. Yes, happy one year, Sam. So we are very excited to have been doing this podcast now for a year. And we're going to dive into the details of a career path on how to become a medical oncologist. But we did want to answer one of the most common questions we've been asked, which is, how did we meet? Exactly. So this has been an awesome adventure together. I am so excited to see what we have in store for two Onc Docs in the future. But back to how we met, and that is a simple answer. So you and I met during our first year of fellowship at the one and only ASCO annual meeting in Chicago. We bumped into each other on that first day. We started chatting, found out we both were first-year fellows at different programs, um, but we immediately hit it off and spent most of that weekend together chatting about our career goals, our inspirations, and attending multiple multiple sessions. Obviously, after ASCO, we've stayed in close contact. We've been seeing each other any chance we can at other conferences and then texting, calling. And now we thankfully live in the same country as well as a three-hour drive apart. So we're getting closer and closer. And so since this is our one year, Kareen, can you tell everyone what you've enjoyed the most about starting this podcast? Yes. So we love hearing from people that listen to our podcast, whether they've listened to one episode or multiple episodes. And so connecting with fellow trainees, connecting with others in the healthcare industry, whether they're pharmacists, advanced care practitioners, those in industry, or other uh, oncologists that also have their own podcasts. We've really loved connecting with others that are in this industry. Agreed. And where do you see us going in the next year? So we plan to cover all remaining relevant HEMOC topics that we haven't yet covered, but we also want to update previously covered topics. And also because Sam and I are not the most tech savvy individuals, perhaps update the quality of our audio on some of these episodes. And we are in the works potentially with some exciting collaborations coming up in the future. And then now we want to delve into the next part of the episode, which is A lot of people have asked us on the career path on how to become a medical oncologist, whether they're in medicine or outside of medicine. And so, Sam, how does one become a medical oncologist? So it's a long career path for sure, but the length of training should not turn anyone away if they're interested in becoming an oncologist or a hematologist, because the years truly do fly by um, and it's extremely rewarding to be in this field. So first, you need to complete high school as well as a bachelor's degree. The bachelor's degree can be in any major that you're interested in, but you do have to be cognizant to complete all of medical school prerequisites. So sometimes you can do this in the traditional four-year path, and occasionally you need to do an additional year to complete all the necessary biology, chemistry, and physics courses before applying to medical school. And so after you're done with the prereqs, what else do we need to do before we can get into medical school? So most medical schools require the MCAT and the format has definitely changed drastically since Sam and I took the MCAT, which makes us sound old, but we had a four-section test with a two-digit score. And apparently the new MCAT is scored on a scale of 472 to 528 with a mean score of 500. And there are 10 passages with four to seven questions each, as well as 15 standalone questions in each of the science sections and nine passages in the critical analysis and reasoning skills section. And there are some early assurance programs where you don't need the MCAT uh, as a score to get 
admission, but you do need to maintain a certain GPA to maintain your admission into said medical school. And of course, extracurriculars as well as letter of recommendations are also really important in the med school application process. So after you're in medical school, what is next? So once you're in medical school, you need to complete all four years. Everyone does the same four years of medical school. And then you apply for residency of your choice. If you would like to become an adult hematologist or oncologist, the two residency program paths that you should be applying for is three years of internal medicine or four years of combination internal medicine plus pediatrics. Some people also do MD-PhD programs, and so they have strong research interests, and it is longer than the four years of medical school alone because you have the PhD portion as well. You have to pass your internal medicine boards, or if you do medicine and pediatrics, you can pass one or both of the boards before applying for your fellowship. And if you're interested in becoming a pediatric hematologist oncologist, instead of doing internal medicine, you'd be doing three years of a pediatric residency and focusing on the care of children. And so after residency, what do we do next? So after residency is fellowship. So you can do a combined hematology oncology fellowship, which is three years, and your time will be approximately split half between hematology, half oncology. Again, if you're in a really academic institution, you may end up doing more, for example, one-year heme, two years onc if you're interested in onc. And then you're eligible to be board certified in both hematology and oncology. There are a few two-year programs in the country specific for either hematology or oncology. And there's also both academic and community fellowship programs. So the breakdown of how much heme or onc you do will also vary according to that. And is there any extra possible training after fellowship? There is. So you can become a super fellow. This is not necessary. And Corrine, did you do a fellowship after your fellowship? Yes, I did a GU clinical oncology research fellowship. So I exclusively saw patients with genital urinary oncology when I was back in Ottawa, Canada last year. But some people may also elect to do a bone marrow transplant fellowship um, if they're planning to be a malignant hematologist dealing with transplant and CAR-T. But again, it's not necessary if you have sufficient experience in an academic center. Exactly. I think it's a bonus year if you really want to subspecialize before starting your career. Um, And so I think it's a great opportunity for certain people, um, but you don't have to do it for every single person. And so once we're done with fellowship, the real fun begins, and that is the job hunt. And so this is the first time in our lives as medical trainees where we don't have an ERAS and a standard approach, and it really is, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And so there are some important factors to consider when trying to find your first job in hematology and oncology. And what things do we need to consider, Corrine? So I think the type of practice setting, location, geographically, whether you want to focus on a particular disease site and whether they're hiring in the disease site, how much balance you want in terms of clinical versus research time, access to clinical trials, salary and benefits, the cost of living, as well as family considerations are all very important. And so what are the various career options that we have in hematology oncology? So we have many. We have academia. We have hybrid community programs. We have industry. And we also have government positions like working at the FDA. About 45% of people who finish hematology oncology fellowship will go into community practice. 
Another 35% will stay within academics, and the rest will go into industry or government positions. And so we're going to go over each of these career paths in a little bit of detail, knowing that they're very diverse, and so we're not going to cover all of the nitty-gritty, but just an overview. We'll start with academia, because this is where you and I both practice. And so tell me an overview of an academic role in hematology oncology. So in academia, you work as a clinical investor investigator focusing usually on a specific tumor site. So for example, I focus in genital urinary oncology and I almost exclusively see patients with prostate, kidney, bladder, testicular cancer, and other GU, rarer GU cancers. Um, and then other responsibilities include writing grants and papers and protocols, being a principal investigator and enrolling patients on clinical trials. And then there's also a component of medical education in academia. So there are programs affiliated with the medical school, residency, and fellowship, and this allows for interactions and teaching opportunities at all levels of medical education. I actually even had an undergraduate student shadowing me yesterday in my clinic. And then in terms of those roles within medical education, it can involve teaching, medical interviewing, and physical education skills to medical students, giving internal medicine residency lectures. Both Sam and I give the internal medicine onc board review lecture every year. And having residents in clinics, as well as on the onc consult teams, learning about oncology. And then we also do fellowship staffing, fellows clinics and consults. And you can also be active in the leadership of a fellowship program, uh, which is what I also do within my role. And then there's also the option of hybrid community jobs. So what are some key differences? In so community practice, this used to be known as private practice. Some places are still truly privately owned, but a lot of community practices are also housed within community hospitals. And so oncologists and hematologists in this setting spend a bulk of their time seeing patients, both in clinic as well as in the hospital. There's an ability to see all disease types. So you can see all solid tumors, malignant, as well as benign hematology. So there's a breadth of variety of the cases that you can be a part of. And some larger practices within the community hybrid setting, they do subspecialize. So there is really a lot of flexibility. If you'd like to see a little bit of everything, or if you'd really like to hone in and see mostly GI or see mostly benign hematology, you can do that in some of the larger community hybrid practices. You can also work at the VA, caring for our veterans, which is another avenue of community practice within the field, as well as this hybrid academic community cancer center concept. This is relatively new within the past few decades, and it can be described as a community practice, both in rural or suburban settings, but it's affiliated with a larger academic program. This relationship between the academic and the community program allows for opportunities to open and enroll patients in clinical trials, as well as participate in some clinical research and also subspecialize within a field. So a lot of variety out there, even outside of the academic setting. And so finally, the last one that we'll go over is pharmaceutical and industry. And so tell us a little bit about that, Kareem. So within industry, some people may focus exclusively on clinical research. Some industry roles may include designing and analyzing data from studies that precede the filing of an IND alongside research scientists, chemists, pharmacologists, and statisticians. The involvement can involve designing and writing first-in human trials that might have previously been animal trials, and this can this development can be all the way to phase three trials. And then working in industry can allow you to look more broadly and work across multiple tumor types, depending on your role. And some people that are exclusively in industry may not have patient care roles anymore. However, 
there are some people that have jobs in industry that also maintain an academic affiliation. So they might still have, you know, one or two half day clinics. And so what is the consideration in terms of schedule and lifestyle balance for all these different options? So in general, hematology oncology is a Monday through Friday outpatient career with some pretty regular business hours. This may vary a little bit with at-home calls. So we have night calls where we answer a lot of patient calls to triage. Do they need to go to the ER or not, as well as covering some of our inpatient consults? We also have some inpatient and weekend shifts, depending on where you work, how much or how little you do. Um, For example, if you end up in bone marrow transplant, you probably have a little more inpatient service because that's primarily where those patients are seen and treated. Same with malignant hematology, a lot more standard inpatient chemotherapy regimens. In academia, you can have a lot of flexibility um, with protected time for research and education, as well as balancing some clinical practice. You also have opportunities to work remote. In community and hybrid, you also have flexibility within those clinic hours seeing patients. You can be full-time or you can be part-time in those roles. So again, really the whole rainbow of options for you within all of these fields. And speaking as a new mom, I can say 100% that hematology oncology is a very family-friendly field. Um, I never feel pressured or stretched too thin within my roles. And I have a lot of flexibility and thankfully a lot of coverage so that I am home every single night with my kid for bedtime. And so we hope you guys enjoyed this special episode. Thank you for listening to us for now one year. And as always, thank you for listening. Please reach out to us if there are any topics you'd like covered or if you have any comments on our Instagram or Twitter to OncDocs. And we'll see you next week for our regular programming. Have a great one, guys.